0: Hello, welcome to Tech manner podcast. We are back after a bit of a hiatus. How long has it been, chaps? Like three weeks, two and a half, three weeks maybe? I was going to say a week. I don't know. <laughs> it just shows how time goes. It goes. It's been a while. Hay fever has truly set in. I've taken all the drugs under the earth to try and make sure I'm not spluttering through through this podcast, but we'll have to see. Uh, John, how, how are you How are you getting on? How's isolation for you?
1: Yeah, it's not too bad. I keep... um. I keep doing lots of exercise, you know, within the guidelines and all that, but then getting really hungry, so I'm just tempted to eat the entire house, which is not not what we're supposed to be doing. So, I'm in a sort of exercise hunger loop. Yeah. But anyway,
0: good, Jack. What about yourself?
2: Yeah, it's not too bad when the sun's out. Been out in the garden for lunch and I've got a run in, so I feel kind of mentally positive, which is good. But just hoping that it's not going to be for the too much longer term yeah absolutely
0: and and connor what's yeah. going on in ireland Uh not a lot mate it's just
3: you know working out on the bike a little bit again like john said keeping inside the uh government's guidelines but thankfully i can i can also cycle indoors because i've got an indoor trainer so that keeps me sweating um but no i'm i'm all right i'm all
0: right i just good I think some I get, nice imagery there nice sweaty oh. imagery for everyone
3: yeah well you know you've got Got to tap into the listeners, haven't you, a little bit? Moving <laughs> on. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> let's crack
0: on. Now, this is a very special episode. We have broadcasting royalty in our presence today. Well, Oxford United broadcasting royalty, especially. So welcome to Tip Manor Podcast, Jerome Sale. How's it going?
4: It's really good. It's good to be with you. I feel a bit starstruck with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> <RBA. laughs> <laughs> I will take that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Your
4: Sunday and- night listening. Um I have to drive my co- my daughter back to, to college on a Sunday night, and uh, when you have managed to do this by you know post a Saturday game and get it loaded up by a Sunday night, I'm very pleased. <laughs> cool. We will keep that in mind.
0: What commentary? Yeah. True. <laughs> 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 what well, um, What have you been up to? How has all of this stuff impacted kind of your job and all the guys at radio oxford in terms of like your usual roles and routines and such
4: oh it's been absolutely crazy half our staff are working from home this is normally quite i'm, I'm sat in bbc radio oxford studios at the moment and yeah. half the staff we just don't see anymore they've been sort of sent home working from home for me it basically means that my monday to friday isn't massively different in so much as Tonight, I'm doing South Today on, you know, the regional news program down here. Um, but I'll, I'll do a breakfast show this week, a couple of breakfast shows, that kind of thing. So I'm standing in doing less sports stuff or no sports stuff. But yeah. like you guys, you know, Saturday is the culmination of the week. It's the thing to look forward to, the game and all that surrounds it. And it's not there at the moment. I find, you know, you're saying I think it's about probably three three weeks since I listened to you guys. And it feels a lot
0: longer. you. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if, yeah, you were going to be doing traffic updates and the weather and all sorts. (laughs) (laughs) True, yeah. There is no traffic at the pear tree roundabout. So
4: no, I'm I'm presenting The Breakfast Show, I'm presenting South today, and I'm basically the super sub. I stand in for for everybody, but don't get my own show because there isn't one.
0: (laughs) There's no (laughs) support. No, God. I'm hearing all sorts, actually, on various radio stations. I listen to Max Rushton quite a lot, and he has Barry, Glenn Denning from the, The Guardian on um they're pretty good they're funny guys but they've been playing reenacting famous football games like england v germany and euro 96 and playing with dice and just re-rolling them getting david seaman on to roll a dice at home (laughs) then they were so desperate to get someone on to, with a German link that they got a bloke on called Ted who had two German wow. shepherds, and that was the closest they could go. Well, I'm
4: glad to say we're not there yet. I mean, there is a bit of news <laughs> going on around Oxfordshire, which is—I don't know if you know—there's this there's this thing going on. So we're quite busy in that regard. We're not quite at rolling dice yet. <laughs> um, right,
0: so Jerome, this is all about you this episode. I like. I know that might be a bit weird, yeah. but you know,
4: I've spent I've spent. Um, 40 years watching Oxford United and it's always been about them. So yeah, I'll take it. (laughs) So kind of back to the start of it
0: all and the times of mini Jerome. Mm. Um, And it's kind of a bit of a traditional thing for the pod itself where we get people on for the first time. We ask them kind of where were you brought up? Uh, And for you especially, it might seem like a bit of a stupid question, but were you raised as an Oxford fan? First game, uh, first player or manager who you consider an idol um, and that type
4: of thing. Yeah. Um, So I grew up in Oxford. Um, My grandfather had actually been originally a Bradford Park Avenue fan, but they moved down from Yorkshire. Um, My my mum moved down from Bradford when she was appropriately for this this program. (laughs) I was going to say. Um, There's the link. Uh, So they moved down when she was a teenager. Um, he then switched allegiance from Bradford Park Avenue to Oxford United. Um, but it kind of skipped a generation. So for, for me, I actually was the one nagging my dad to take me to the manor ground rather than, um, you know, being dragged along, kicking and screaming when I wanted to do something else. Um, that was the 1978-9 season, I think, or maybe, maybe yeah, 78 yeah. or 79. Um, I watched the um, last home game of the season, which was against Lincoln City. Um Having been to Oxford City a couple of times because United had been away um, and then had to wait a whole summer <laughs> for it to start. Off again. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was my, that was my era. Um, Bill Asprey was a manager. so um, these were not glory days. <laughs> but they turned into glory days quite quickly. So I was like seven or eight, no maybe a little younger then. Um, but by the time I was kind of 11, 12, Jim Smith was manager. And yeah. as everybody knows things were starting to. T- I mean, that feels like I got lucky very quickly. Um, but when you're that age, of course, it's forever. So, see, for most, like I, I put in the hard yards by then.
1: For most of us, we probably started supporting Oxford, and then he went downhill rapidly for about 15 years. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> completely the reverse. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very lucky, and I do actually think that you know the uh, the generation certainly that started watching since the mid 90s until you know and he went through some lean old times before it started to get mm. better
0: yeah no, definitely yeah absolutely mm. what about um first player that really caught your eye then
4: i lived across the road from malcolm McIntosh, um so he was uh he was playing as a fullback for united at the time so i, I was always like re- my first away game was for my i want to say eighth birthday away at berry and um Malcolm McIntosh came over with Peter Foley, and we talking to me and my dad behind the goal and offering us seats in the uh, in the stand. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I want to be back, but I want to be behind the goal. But thanks, <laughs> thanks anyway. Um, so, but then also, this was the time of some of the the sort of the, the young talent that a guy called Fred Ford, who was the chief scout at the time, had nurtured. So people like Andy Thomas, Kevin Brock was outstanding I mean you a lot of time on our hands at the moment people talking about the greatest ever United 11 don't underestimate how good Kevin Brock was in that time under uh, first Asbury and then Ian Greaves and then Jim Smith and he obviously played at Wembley in the 86 cup final but he's the one that people don't talk about um, yeah. so I would think you know that he was probably the, in terms of being a talented footballer the one that you know very early on really caught my eye
0: Cool. I'd like to say it resonates with me, but it doesn't. Les Robinson was more the fullback for me, playing thousand <laughs> um, uh, games for Oxford or whatever. I can whatever understand it that. <laughs> um, On to kind of like the start of your career in broadcasting, so right. go, going back a bit, but I did actually... join right. some <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no offense. I did some close to home kind of research, and i told the guys this already, but my brother was in your year at Oxford Boys, my brother Adam, and he's, oh, yeah, he said yeah, to I me... Remember yeah he was in Trevelyan House, he said, yeah the yellows. He said that would ring a bell, yeah, the yellows, yeah, yeah um, and, that, and I think I was in Scott, which was the reds. Ooh. there you go. Ooh. he yeah, did say that? he did say you're in the smart group, and he wasn't, and he seemed a little bit
4: bitter about it. But- I think I think he's been too generous <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, in the smart group. <laughs> The interesting thing out of that conversation with Adam was that he said, um, you won the Young Commentary of the Year awards and he thought that was roughly around eighty-six. And then I yeah. was kind of doubting what he was saying, so I went online, found an article um with a quote from Jonathan Wall, which I'm sure yeah. is a name that rings a bell to you. So yeah. he was the boss of Five Live for anyone listening. I don't think he is anymore, is he?
4: No, he's now in charge of BBC Sounds. It's you know, the app like the oh, iPad yeah. for, for radio. So that's where he's in charge now. He was um he was in the final of the Young Commentator of the Year competition in 1986, along with me and two others. So it was a big year, 86. I went. I actually went to Wembley twice because I won the competition and the prize was to go to the FA Cup final. And <laughs> I wasn't that bothered because I'd been to City <laughs> Oxford for three weeks earlier. So uh, I was I was under was all these Liverpool and Everton fans, you know, literally crawling up the Twin Towers trying to get in. And I was feeling really guilty, feeling I should give my ticket up. But yeah, um, he, Jonathan Wall actually was... Um, uh, purely by coincidence, ended up on the same uni course as me. Uh, and he'd been, he was a runner up. And I sat down next to him, didn't know who he was. And he said, you're Jerome Sairline. And I said, yeah, <laughs> all my family hate me.
0: <laughs> your face, yeah, your face was on a dartboard.
4: Yeah, oh, it cheers. Turned out, actually turned out to be brilliant brilliant friends, but, uh, and his, his career uh, went through the BBC. I got into the BBC first, won that competition. Um, loads of different things i'd sort of done ahead of him and then he ended up being the controller of five live so he probably he probably in the end beat me big time <laughs> what was actually on the cassette that you submitted i was trying to remember what i what i sent in i think i did a i think it was a you know like this club vhs they used to make the sort of tapes of the games back back then yeah. and i think i commentated off a tape like just sat sat at home commentating off a tape so no crowd noise or anything like that that may yet to be proved to be something i end up doing in the the coming weeks (laughs) you know um so yeah i can't remember which game it was but it was an oxford game i sent that in and then there were subsequent rounds um the only comment the only commentary i did live in the competition was um the 86 fa cup semi-final between southampton and liverpool at white hart lane yeah. Uh, but it, the big, you know, I got really lucky because four days earlier, United were away to Southampton. Um, so my dad took me down to the Dell and you know, Aldridge was playing for Oxford. Shilton was in goal for Southampton. And he you know, He was saying, I don't need to mention anything other than the game until you can tell me every Southampton player by, you know, identify them instantly. <laughs> uh, and then he tested me on the physio. And I was like, oh, come on. And he said, no, no, you can watch the second half just cheering on Oxford if you can identify everybody. They might. Anyway, um, it was the uh, the 86 semi-final was the one where Mark Wright, former Oxford player, broke his leg in the semi-final. The physio was like centre stage. I was like, you know, bad, <laughs> bad thing. But thankfully, that I, whether that made the difference, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, it was a big moment for me because it, um, it got me introduced to people at Radio Oxford at the time. Uh, yeah. old listeners to the podcast will know that um Nick Harris was covering United then but Peter Baker was the sports editor and uh it was his hat by the way Peter Baker's hat that Malcolm Shotten with the horns on wore oh. when, when he lifted the right. um, when he lifted the milk cup anyway so it got me in, introduced to, to him and one or two others around so though it didn't I was 14 at the time though it didn't you know, start my career then in the terms of it's not what you know it's who you know it probably helped subsequently
0: nice and where did it all start from that point onwards then in, in terms of your career in broadcasting how did radio oxford actually come about did you just stay closely linked with those people that you'd kind of been in contact with uh,
2: yeah
4: i mean it, so i was 14 and i you know i tried i tried the, i was really into football and i was really into broadcasting but they weren't running at the same time they were completely different things i, I did a little bit with uh with hospital radio although they didn't I didn't actually do football for for hospital radio. Um, there was an opportunity actually to become the commentator on the club videos. They would uh, this was uh, United. I think it was the first season after they'd been relegated from the first the old First Division, the Premier League. Um, uh, Brian Horton had taken over as yeah. manager from Mark Lawrenson, and I was I commentated on the club videos. So I went up onto the gantry, sat with a guy who was you know one camera that was filming it, and commentated onto the uh, onto the videos. I did okay because I remember. Um, David Moss, who was the assistant manager, dragged me at one point and said, do you, do "You do the commentary on the video." And I thought, "Crikey, what's <laughs> that?" He went, oh, "No, no, no. It's quite good. We quite we, me and Brian think it's quite good." And I thought, "Okay, I'll take that." Um, anyway, uh, then I got to know Hedley Feaster. You probably heard doing the football results, you know, the local yeah, yeah. football results on, on Radio Oxford. He was doing a thing called Club Call at the time, which is, this is pre-internet days, and you could used to ring up a phone number and you could get Oxford United interviews and stories and, and, and that kind of thing wherever you were. Um, I remember doing that on my wedding day, but that's a different story. Um, Paul, Paul Moody scored a hat-trick at Cardiff. Uh,
1: <laughs> Worth it by the sounds of it.
4: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so so anyway, he he needed somebody to help him out a little bit on, on club call, doing some interviews. So I did that for a little while. And then genuinely, I was waiting on a Monday lunchtime uh, to do some club call interviews with players and the manager before Oxford played away at Stoke. And Peter Baker was there. And he said, um, "Just out of interest, you fancy covering the game at Stoke tomorrow because Nick Harris can't go, because Nick was obviously involved in the Mug GP and the Formula One at the time." And I went, "Yeah, of course." <laughs> um, never thought about like how the hell am I going to get there or whatever. So, um, what, what year was this? Sorry, this would have been 80, 89, 90 season yeah. by now. Um, and yeah, it, it was. So I borrowed my dad's car, drove myself to the game. Um, yeah, and it was only, it wasn't commentary at the time. It was, uh, you know, four 30 second hits a half. Um, and it was a dramatic game. And I, I did okay until the very, I mean, it all, is a not, reporter's nightmare. It all kicked off in the last minute. United were leading. Then they conceded. Uh, then they got a penalty. Then Stoke got a penalty. And then Alan Judge saved it. And then Oxford went up the other end of the score so it's was like a rewrite four or five times and i absolutely by my own admission i absolutely nailed the report um, <laughs> and then peter baker came over the line afterwards and said that was absolutely brilliant apart from you gave the score the wrong way round. you said it was stoke two oxford one oh, and no. it,
0: it, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: so <laughs> uh, my my balloon was well and truly burst at that at that moment but um i did another couple of games right at the end of that season and uh it, yeah it seemed to it seemed to go quite well I'm very grateful actually I owe a lot to Peter Baker his wife who was working for radio Oxford at the time she was a presenter called Mary small she um helped me out getting extra extra work on her show um and Headley right. as well and Nick um all were very gracious and very helpful when when I was coming through and looking back I was probably sort of ambitious and obnoxious so um yeah, that I didn't. Deserve, I didn't deserve all the help that I got. Really
0: <laughs> nice. That was going to be one of the questions we asked about people in those early days that were kind of helping you along. A bit of a cliche question, but you've already mm. gone there now. Um, what about um, the TV side of things as well? So where did that come about? Because we saw yeah. you on. Or it used to be BBC Oxford, and then there was this opt out thing, and it all yeah. on Wikipedia. It all sounded rather boring for people. Yeah, I
4: mean, it, it is. It it's, they, they they change. It changes all the time. I mean, I'm presenting the news tonight and we're BBC South Today Oxford now. Yeah. Um, which is a 10, 15-minute part of the start of the 6.30 regional news. Um, and, yeah, if you look on YouTube clips of, you know, the conference era, we were the only ones filming. Um, oh, I know we're sort of going off the uh, chronology of this a little bit, but we used to have to, um, you know, like bribe club cameramen to give us a DVD of games so we could bring, <laughs> so we could actually show. That's why, that's the only footage there is on YouTube. We were the only ones at the time filming it. So, uh, yeah. Um, So, but actually, I mean, when I um, with Radio Oxford, uh, first of all, I actually got a full time job as a news reporter, and then they had this ill fated merger of Radio Oxford and Radio Berkshire and created Thames Valley FM, which which lasted for about four years. But did they not learn from Thames Valley Royals? I mean,
1: yeah. Well, I was just about to say that
4: (laughs) we we'd all we'd all set up to do um, to do like a joint programs all the way through and then we got absolutely hammered bizarrely in the Reading paper rather than the Oxford paper. Um, so actually the, the first Saturday that we we broadcast, we actually split the commentaries, um, so we never actually did a Reading game on, on Radio Oxford, if you like, but it was a, there was a big turnover of staff, so that meant I could get the sports editor's job at, at Radio Oxford and then um, after a few years, at the time, Oxford, as an Oxford child, was was part of BBC London. In terms of its TV region, so very occasionally, you know, they they would do stories from here, which basically about the university skateboarding sheep, or if you're really lucky, something about um, something about the football team, and they'd you know, deign to give you ten, you know, a minute ten seconds or something to do do a piece of when Oxford got taken over. They said, oh well, you know about sport, you might as well do it. Uh, so I did that, and it worked out okay. And then they did a screen test when we started to do presentation from here. Um, did that and that was okay so for me the it's it's meant that i've told you a little bit about what i'm doing now the probably the best thing about my my job is the diversity so you know i can do some tv news i can do a radio breakfast show or or drive time show but then still do oxford united at the weekend there's a lot to like about that
0: Uh, and when was the first time or what was the first season where you were truly covering kind of every game type thing i know you miss maybe two or three or whatever a season yeah. but when, yeah. when did that probably start kicking off
4: so it's probably that was probably the when the the merger happened when it was um because i went from being you know at the mercy of somebody else and and to uh, which was 96 was the year it was the year of the promotion under dennis smith so actually you remember the um the wickham game the famous shot of um yeah. doing a backflip and yeah. um uh, Stuart Massey hanging on the crossbar that was the last game of the old Radio Oxford and the first game of Thames Valley FM was the one that followed, I can't actually remember what, what that one was, but um, that was where I became the sports editor, so that was the time we actually negotiated with United that we would at the time do commentary on every away game yeah. um, and then once they moved to the Kassam um, with a little bit of negotiation we got to do home games as well, They the fear was that home commentaries would affect the with, would affect the crowd as it turned out they did affect the crowd but actually it, it seemed to put bums on seats because people were coming up to us and say you know we heard the commentary on the radio and we thought this was in the early days of uh <laughs> um, we thought it sounded really good and you know we're our yeah, money back. <laughs> yeah.
0: absolutely <laughs> what about um detaching yourself as a fan we were kind of discussing this um before we came on like how if we were in your position We'd find it extremely difficult to keep ourselves within ourselves when mm. commentating, especially in the big moments of the big games. Like yeah. when, it, was that something you had to train yourself on to kind of detach fan from broadcaster?
4: Yeah, get. I guess I mean, on I'd done quite a lot before I actually got to doing regular radio stuff, so it became quite normal. It's a little bit like putting on a posher voice when you're on the phone to somebody or something <laughs> like that. I, it's yeah. the same. It's the same thing that stops you swearing on air um it, it just Connor, Connor,
2: Connor, you, you, <laughs> yeah you, i'll uh...
3: I'll, uh, I'll get
4: my pen and paper now <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> i knew there'd be some dig at me because um, of swearing going
4: on in this episode i just anticipated oh, it sorry sorry Jerome, I'll, I didn't let it I'll, let, yeah, I'll let you
3: off i'll let you off
4: um so so yeah but i mean it's still it, it what it does is it makes it makes things very different so uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. I remember the, the, um, that same season, that 96 season, there was a match at Crewe, the penultimate game of the season, and you just knew Oxford had to win it. They would get themselves into the automatic promotion places as a result of it because Blackpool had, had lost at Warsaw. And you just felt the first time I ever felt this kind of sense of um, like responsibility knowing that thousands of people were listening it almost felt as if you said boo people would jump because they weren't just listening to the radio they were sat you know you know like when you're really yeah, into yeah, it, yeah, you're yeah. looking at the radio rather than um rather than just listening to it uh you you take in the radio with a football match or i used to do um in a way that you don't listen to any other radio show it's, it's completely different um so that came to my mind and then um fast forward to the the late and orient game that generally we'd want to yeah. forget the 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 you know we'd been yeah. relegated from from the football league and at the time i you know all all i was worried about was the radio show um because that's what I, you know trained myself to do but my god an hour after we'd finished it, it all the emotions that everybody else was going through at quarter 5 we were going through at quarter past 6 yeah it was absolute and you know Wembley as well in in 2010 <laughs> um Crikey, the, the emotions—the completely different emotions—crashing through when it, you know when Potter scores. You're just thinking, "This is a really big moment for the radio station and for the football club." Um, your emotions—you you deal with later. Do you prep like, um, like a
1: lines for if the inevitable happens? So, like after Lee Steele had scored or Potter scores, do you prep a line to try and you know that sort of memorable one line, or do you just kind of let the
4: emotion? And yourselves to say what what you feel. Um, you think about it. I mean, I spent four years thinking about what I'd say <laughs> if we're not got back in the football league. Back um, back on the coupon, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, and it's really nice that people quote that back to me. Yeah. Um, and it was it just, but that just came to me from um, when Ox- from the late in Orient game. Uh, the presenter of Radio Oxford's breakfast at the time was Sybil Rusco, and she kept saying, "You know, Oxford are going to fall off the coupon." Um, you know, if they, if they lose tomorrow kind of thing on, on the, the day before the Orient game. And that I don't know where that came from because actually I, I had thought about it and I was going to say the important thing was back in the football league, back where they belong. And I thought I'd say that. And I never told anybody I'd say it because I didn't want to jinx it. Mm. And, um, and actually the, then I said, and I bet... You, you look for the the power of three, you know, three things to say. So I was when the fi- the full time whistle went, I was just hunting for a third thing to start it with, thinking that would be the throwaway line. Yeah, Yet that's the one that people mentioned to me, which you know I'm very ha- I'm very happy about. If, the, if that's my commentary line that I'm remembered for, I'll take yeah, it.
3: Yeah, I like I like that one because uh, I popped up to well, I say up. This is when I was living in Oxford. Um, I went to, to Manchester and went to the um, football history museum, and they've got a, a a, kind of like a tablet thing there and you can go go through various football clubs and click on famous games and they've got the radio commentary and your commentary from that game is is on there. And I remember standing there next to my dad and listening to it and, and stuck the headphones on his head and we were like, yeah, that's that's just class. We That'll always stick with us. <laughs> so I, I think that's a good one for you to be known by.
0: Yeah, I'll take it. No doubt about it. So, similar line of questioning to where, where John's just gone with regards to prep. How is kind of prep changed for you over the years when it comes to like uh, radio oxford commentary for oxford united like, it's really, it yeah
4: it's changed, yeah. it's changed a lot i mean um so when i first started doing commentary it was pre the internet so i mean actually so much about the sort of journalist job has changed because of google um but do you, I, I don't know if you guys remember there used to be like a, a um, like a yearbook that would come out each year with the 92 clubs in details of you know appearances from the previous season and each player with a little bio and, and that kind of thing uh, and that was what you live by and then you'd spend you know if you're trying to do stats you then try and you then get the program when you arrived at the game and then try and add and subtract from the from the the seasons before that kind of thing i mean it seems crazy now if they, oxford signed a player you can just google them and find out who uh yeah who were. Exactly. um it, 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 and obviously the same for for the opposition so player identification that comes quite quickly because by and large you're only you're seeing unless there's a promotion or relegation only six or seven of the clubs at oxford are playing change um, and doing the stuff for south today as well you get for the you know, for the moment you we do mk donson and swindon as well as um, as well as oxford so you you know teams that come out from league 2 you've got quite a good idea about as well um so yeah it's it, it, that has changed quite dramatically in terms of the, the prep um what we used to do as well was we speak to people so um you know you'd ring up the local radio station that was covering the opposition and talk to them um beforehand where well, you don't really need to do that sort of thing anymore
0: yeah what about match day routine in terms of like away games and that type of thing? Like a Tuesday night going up to
4: Barrow, like
0: right. who drive? Who drives? Do you have De- a dedicated De- driver? Wouldn't
4: you? I, don't, I always say, that's one thing I've said in the last few weeks. I'll never say Tuesday away at Barrow. <laughs> you know, what, what a nightmare! I'll, I'll I'll embrace it and love it, and I'll never complain about it again. People don't believe me, but it's true. I will never complain about that. Um, so yeah, we. Um, so it's usually. It depends who's going, obviously, because there's a you know, yeah, yeah. selfie likes to drive if he comes with us. Um, we sometimes go with David Pritchard from the Oxford Mail. Um, I don't like sitting in the back of vehicles, um, so I like to, I'm quite happy to drive as well. So one one of those three um, are normally behind the wheel, and we we go in a big van as well. People might have seen us at away games. We go in a big van because it's um, for two reasons. One, it's there's a bit more room. We can get all the, all the gear in. Um, but also the BBC insurance means that you don't have to take it back. If, you know, you get back late from Barrow at three in the morning, you can go home with it and then bring it back the next morning, which you can't do if it's a car, yeah. apparently.
0: And so. it also it helps avoid the situation that the guys had at Tombridge Angels where you're sat,
4: sat on top of a, a <laughs> Nissan Micra. <laughs> They'd have been better with the van. Um, but, and, you know, I wasn't, at, I wasn't at that game. I was listening. I, I've only missed two games ever uh, through illness and I, I had a really... Bad flu that night. And I, I, the other game I missed was Chelsea away in the FA Cup, which was rather different because Oxford won that game instead of losing at Tunbridge Angels. But I remember listening to the guys sat on the car, Billy Turley, Nathan and Nick at yeah. Tunbridge Angels. I thought, crikey, how, how, bad, <laughs> how bad is the shot now? Um, yeah, but if they'd had the van, it would have been fine. Did they, love, <laughs> did they
1: love that? Or was it sort of panic for professionalism and doing a good job? Or were they like, this is just all part of the fun? of sort of these kind of situations. Can you remember what, what the,
4: Yeah, I mean yeah I mean at the time you just don't think about it. you just want to get on the air yeah. and and make give yourself the the best chance. You might come away afterwards and think you know that's ridiculous. Um it's quite it, you know it's interesting for Nick who's obviously covered um you know <laughs> national sporting events yeah. quite quite often um and you know he Football has a different way of looking after you. I mean, I remember him kicking off at Gray's because they turned the, the floodlights off while we were still working. <laughs> um, but then he then pointed out, that happened to him at Molyneux as well and he got locked in there. So, it, it, you know, it's not necessarily just about where you are in terms of football status or, or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, you don't you don't think about, crikey, what will we come to or this is outrageous or anything like that. You just, you might, you might moan about it on the way home. But at the time, it's, you know, you... You know how important it is. We've all been there on the other end listening to it. You don't want to, you don't want to hear people moan. I mean, occasionally there are commentators that do moan about their, their existence. I had one commentator moaning about, you know, didn't have a very good view at the Champions League. Let's get out of the world's smallest violin for you, pal. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, but, well, you know, you're at the game. You're lucky to be at the game. You've got a responsibility to, to those who aren't, and that's what drives you, really.
0: I forgot to ask this earlier and it's gonna niggle at me if I don't ask it, but is there a reason why you didn't because it, it twigged when you mentioned Nick being more involved in kind of national things? Like I mm. I'm good mates with Henry Moran, I grew up with him and he was obviously at BBC Oxford and then moved on to Test Match Special, I think he's doing now, yeah, right? Yeah. But was was there any or was there ever a time where you were you were considering going to five live or anything like that? Did that
4: opportunity never well, materialise? Well, I did. <laughs> um uh, that was one of the times that I sort of bumped into Jonathan Wall again. Um, so it was just after my son was born. Um, and they, they basically were always going out into the regions and taking people, you know, you know, offering chance to apply for jobs at Five Live. Um, first of all, on a kind of secondment basis, but you could pretty much turn them into full time jobs if you wanted to. Um, and I went and it was working at television center and some of the, some of the days were the best broadcasting days of my life. You know, I'm, I'm working on radio two shows with eight, 10, 12 million people listening radio one, yeah. radio four. Um, but then it, the job was a little bit of broadcasting and sometimes a little bit of production. And then other times, so, so I'd be, um, how can I put it trying to make other people sound good rather than worrying about. Yeah, sounding yeah. good. So the opportunity came to stay, um, they were keep, but they were keeping my seat warm in Oxford as well. It, the, the choice was mine, which I'm, you know, very grateful for. Um, but I decided, I decided to, to come back. So, uh, and I'm glad I did for lots of reasons because I didn't like commuting. It meant I wasn't seeing my son grow up and later my daughter. Um, so that's probably the big one. Uh, yeah. But then that diversity of role that I've got now its just before the TV started to really open up in Oxford. So I was back for that, um, which was was really important. But also there were really op- big opportunities within regional, regional TV and local radio for broadcasting national events. So um, I've been really lucky that whilst I've been kind of tenured to, to Radio Oxford, I've covered a World Cup, I've covered an Olympics. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've had the best of both worlds, if you like.
0: All, all I can say is thank Christ. I'm sure I, I speak for all of us. Thank Christ, you came back. Oh, you're very kind. You're very kind. Um, back to the back to the match day experience, then. And uh, this might be more one for Nathan, perhaps. But do do you interact much with your opposite numbers, like BBC Lincoln or BBC Cambridge, whatever it is, um, when it comes to match days? I know there's often like subtle digs. At your opposite numbers on, on the, uh, yeah, maybe it's um, a hard question to answer that, but do you, are there any particular favorites that you like seeing? Do you exchange they, uh, notes?
4: Yeah, yeah, of course. Absolutely. I mean, uh there are some, there are some people, particularly if the people covering the games, are sports editors. So therefore, because you tend to get people that are full-time who are the sports editors, or you, there's maybe one full, you know, full-time deputy, and then the rest are made up of freelancers. So it rather depends how big the radio station is. We we only cover one football league team, but there are others, um, that cover, you know, a dozen, you know, yeah, London yeah, or, or Manchester or something like that. So, um, the personalities change quite a lot. Um, some of the guys are geographically really close, um, so you, you you obviously know the, the the guys and girls at say at BBC Wiltshire, BBC Berkshire, good friends with um, the sports editor of BBC Three Counties who cover Luton and Watford and Wickham and Stevenage, yeah. um, and his family are all Oxford fans. By the way, he lives in Oxford, so uh, it's why he's always at the games involving whenever oxford are playing them he's particularly when the, the kassam because then you know he lives closer to the kassam than i do so uh, there, there are people like that but yeah i mean and they're really good guys and there are a lot of guys you know it's not a particular it's not a particular heavy turnover it's probably why henry moran is at test match special not here because i'm not giving up the, the job anytime soon <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah. so you know you you probably have seen sunderland till i die and nick barnes is the commentator for bbc newcastle yeah, yeah, yeah. there and I've known him for years. He he covered Carlisle before he went over to to the other side of the country and first Newcastle and then covered Sunderland. So, um, yeah, I mean it's, it's quite it's quite a tight fraternity in some in some ways, mixed up with you know freelancers that that come in that you maybe don't know so well, and some are better than others, shall we say? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were hoping you were going to say like you know there's massive beef with BBC Mansfield, and yeah. it all happened because of uh, something uh, that time Appleton smashed up the. Um,
4: the bench or something like that. But. <laughs> well, there's, there's a bit of beef with BBC Wiltshire, yeah, for us. to And we, um, there's there's a kind of facade of professionalism, <laughs> shall we say. Oh, oh brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, there's a, there's a grudging respect as well, because um, you know that, I actually like the fact that they really care, and when they turn up, they're really peed off when they lose to Oxford. Um, yeah. It would be worse if they didn't give a monkeys, wouldn't it?
0: absolutely it's much better when they're in pain yeah um, <laughs> you could i, I I'll always i always um, remember
3: listening to bbc wiltshire um when oxford played played swindon the last time and I, and I remember just listening to the sound of their voices when uh, when uh, rob ho scored that absolute screamer against them at the county ground and just they just dropped completely dead on the radio. It almost went dead silent when that hit the back of the net. And it oh, was, you it was I was I was in Southampton at the time. and yeah, I, no, I was in Southampton at the time. I was, I was at uni. And the only radio station I could get hold of for some reason was Wiltshire. It was on the telly. I didn't have my laptop with me at the time because it was broken. It was actually for repair. And on the on the TV, I could get BBC Wiltshire up, um, the, the radio station. So I had to listen to it through the TV. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a makeshift, makeshift one for me. But I uh, just remember listening to their voices just yeah. crumble when that hit the back of the net. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, I
0: know. It, what? What about? We've got to talk about this. What about the phone in? And again, you can't probably say too much about this. But do do you, <laughs> you dread it when follow following a defeat, or do you kind of embrace it and go right? Who are we expecting today? You know, you've got the classic. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't there, Jerome. But and then you've got sack the board. Except that was one for the, from this season. Who was the bloke that came on this season. I forget his name said sack the board and then you said call me back in a couple of weeks time and he, he never came back on he, he was I an think elderly I
4: chap think that was before the uh the five in the five wins in a row wasn't it <laughs> yeah that was it that was yeah it. i haven't heard from right. um if i'm absolutely honest again it goes back to the difference between being a fan and a broadcaster uh it you know a really bad defeat or a really bad run of results the the fact that the the switchboard will light up, and we'll get a punchy phone in, and yeah. that kind of thing. It's going to be a better listen. If I'm absolutely honest, um, it's not what I set out for at the start of the day, but it's the kind of silver lining to the cloud. Um, yeah,
0: are yeah. You biting? Are you biting your tongue
4: at times, no, or is, it, oh, is oh, it, in just- it, in it? No, not really. Because um, what I would say is, and this is an opportunity for me to say it when when United are winning. Unless they're winning really well, like they have been before the before the enforced break. Sometimes it's quiet on the phone. And I do see people and we get texts, you know, why have you let so-and-so on the air or why is so-and-so on all the time? The fact of the matter is that off, off, after, after a routine 1-0 win, we probably only get in a handful of calls. Probably not, you know, sometimes not even that. Um, people love to, to ring in and, and have a moan up, generally speaking, but. Uh, people who are happy to assess the game on the radio. It was a bigger, you know, I've, I have to be honest, a radio phone in 10, 15, 20 years ago was always going to be more punchy than it is oftentimes yeah. now because people can sound off in relative anonymity about how they feel on, on Twitter or uh, yeah. on a forum in the way that they couldn't then. That was their their one r- way of really sounding off instantly. You know, there, there are a lot more avenues to do that these days. So, yeah, you know, um I'm pleased I'm just pleased, pleased that people call if I'm honest with you guys. You you do seem to do a good
0: job at managing to critique results or the way that we approach a game with whilst maintaining a level of friendship with the club and all the people around it. Have have relations ever kind of soured for any reason or has your kind of access into the club ever changed for better or worse based on which managers in place or which regime we're under at a That's given time? Question. Um,
4: generally speaking, it's been good, and, and the, I often think that some of the managers that you might think you might think have been more difficult actually haven't been, um, and and even owners and you know there've been some weird times, there've been some difficult times. Um, we've never, we, I, I think I'm right in saying we've never been close to being banned. There was a time when the uh, the Oxford Mail got banned when United were particularly bad, and John Murray uh, said so. Um, we we fell out because we wanted to be banned as well. It was so bad watching. Um, but um, <laughs> no, the the relationship has been pretty pretty good. And what you find is certainly these days when it, so much criticism is available and critique and a, a opinion is, is offered whether people want it or not, as long as you're fair, um, footballers and football managers and even club owners – kind of understand that it's not always going to be a joyful embrace of, of everything that they do or say. Yeah. Uh, you do have to make sure you, you're, you're fair and, and, and you can only go to a certain level. I mean, um, I always think, all right, if the person I was talking about is listening to this, could I justify what I say? You know, yeah. you got to make sure as a, as a fan, you can sit there and go so-and-so is absolutely rubbish and I don't care. He's never going to be a good, good enough player for Oxford United. And, many of us have done that as fans. uh everything that we say on the radio in my opinion you've got to be able to back up with some reasoned argument. you can't just be emotive about it. and if yeah. you do that uh, and I'm lucky over a lot of years and I hope hope, hope it stays like that uh, I've managed to be you No, know, there have been times when I've absolutely cheesed off managers and, and players and and it take you know sometimes it takes some bridges to build but generally speaking I've managed to stay on the right side of that line I think.
0: okay. I just realised the time. God, this is going quick. What time do you have to read the news, Jerome? Um, well, you've got you've got ninety minutes. Oh, okay, maybe we don't need that long, but still. In terms of like, we were planning at one point going through kind of. Oxford seasons in a chronological way, but we could be here all night. Yeah, but if, unfortunately, if I've been watching for a very long time. <laughs> we'd we'd like to chat about some of the key periods and moments in the club's recent history and get some of your thoughts and feelings, however blissful or painful they may be to reflect on. So, I guess since you've been covering Oxford, what seasons or eras really stand out for you as a as a broadcaster, both for being glorious, yeah, but also for containing some real real low points. And you could probably say the late nineties period into early noughties is perhaps standing out, but yeah, I mean,
4: the first commentary I did was the, um, tramir Rovers staying up game in 1992, um, where Oxford won at, at Tramir on the last day of the season, we weren't doing commentary at the time. So Nick and I worked together as commentators for the first time that day, um, yeah and that was at a time of you know Robert Maxwell had died the club was in absolute chaos you know I don't think the players or the manager got the credit you know even now you hear Brian Horton's name mentioned and he's like double barrel to Horton out isn't he um but you know he did he did absolute worked absolute wonders to keep the club up, up that season um at 96 Dennis Smith and that amazing charge to promotion um was a big time for us in terms of broadcasting as well. Cause that was, as I mentioned earlier on, that was the t- change to doing commentaries and, and Thames Valley FM um, on the downside. I mean, 2006 was a massive year for me. Um, Cause it ended, you know, the, the takeover, the return of Nick Mary with, with Jim Smith, um, uh, then, yeah. then relegation. Um, and that summer was the summer I covered the world cup. So I spent the summer basically around Germany covering the world cup. Um, the last game I covered in the World Cup was England's quarterfinal against Portugal at uh, Gelsenkirchen, Schalke's ground. The next game I covered, um, I think was it Dagenham? You know, <laughs>
0: couldn't yeah. believe wow. it. Reality check. Yeah,
4: uh, yeah. How was the um, the Kassam takeover period for you? When Kasam took over from yeah. uh, when he bought the club, I mean, uh, he, you've got to remember at the time, there saved was, us, yeah. It was real concern that the club was going to get out of business, and I think many people w- would understandably have said, and maybe if they, they would would still say so, even with the benefit of hindsight, that they would be happy for Kassam to make what he could out of the manor ground because you know history will say how uh, he made a lot of money out of the manor ground, um, he did, but that that ground had a covenant on it that you could only you couldn't do anything with it other than leisure facilities and all the rest of it he, he was one of the few people that could change that he changed it largely for his benefit i, I fully accept um, but there were many people at the time that would say if you save this football club from going out of business i'll take that now i know there were others ar- around at the time that would say well we would have done so and we would have been more um beneficial to the football club at that time it, it that wasn't the way that it was coming across. Um, yeah. We didn't really know a huge amount about him. Malcolm Shotton was was manager was was also working wonders um, with one season where he kept United up, but then then it badly badly unravelled. And you know we talk about the Kassam not feeling like home until perhaps you know ten years they till the you know Chris Wilder took United back into the league. Um, a lot of that was about the football, not just about the the, the stadium, I think.
1: And was Sam yeah. was he sort of open and engaging? I mean, I can remember I times know. when yeah. his car would have guards next to it if we won and they wouldn't be there if, we, if we'd, if um, we sorry, if we'd lost it, there'd be guards next to his car and if we won, there yeah. wouldn't be. But you never got to see, yours to me seemed honest about his intentions and the kind of the property side of things, but was always kind of straying towards the line of the ire of the fans, but you never got a sense of what he was really like as a person.
4: No, I mean, he he was really open. Um, he would always take your call. He was very friendly um, as a person. And we had to do, bear in mind, we had to do business deals with him as well, you know, commentary deals and, sure. and that kind of thing. Um, uh, we found he would ring in phone. I don't know if you remember this, but he would ring the phone in, you know, a couple of times after heavy defeats, he would ring up. Um, I can remember, I think we'd oh, com- him. complain. Well, I remember United, we were, I think we were in, into the second hour of the phone-in after the 7-0, was it, at Sunderland. And right. I'm getting a message in my ear saying, you know, we've got Fieros Kassam on. Oh, and I said, like, hey, that can't actually be Fieros <laughs> So we had to go back and check out it was actually him, um, not somebody pulling a flanker. And he, he, you know, he he didn't hide away from from anything. Um, and I think he was reasonably upfront about his, his intentions. Uh, um, you yeah, know, I felt that. I think we always felt. Whether you like them or not? Is a different. Is a different story.
1: Yeah. No, I think we fell for it a few times when he'd sign um sign a player just to keep us happy, and then it didn't really solve the underlying problems. But I guess he's sort of retrenched now, and it's more about the the stadiums, the dynamic, really. Yeah, I mean,
4: my criticism of him as as an owner was, I thought his timing was bad. The man did invest in the team just at the wrong times. Mm. Really should have invested yeah. when Ian Atkins had Oxford um top of the table or thereabouts the cup run where they beat swindon and got the arsenal game that was that was a that was a big error because he'd invested and just needed to speculate a little bit more to accumulate what could have been a lot more
0: yeah so before we get on to the just talking about wilder in the conference jack you were talking the other day around the kind of argentine diaz period and um (laughs) <laughs> this is a period in Oxford history that I just kind of lost touch slightly, but
2: yeah, I'm, was it
0: just you were keen to know how was it was? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, I was just fascinated by that whole time period because I used to come down from York quite a lot around then and stay in the hotel next to the ground and you'd come down for breakfast and all the coaching staff would be in there with a whiteboard and you'd see the various players at the time. And just from your point of Jerome, was that whole period just surreal? It's exactly the word I was going to use. Yeah.
4: Um, from the absolute get-go it was surreal I remember taking a call on the morning of the press conference I don't know if you remember um, Oxford had played the night before and Chris Turner had been in the director's box and the assumption that he was going to get the job and uh, I don't know something didn't quite ring true so on Radio Oxford we didn't quite go as far as to say you know Chris Turner's expected to be appointed or or anything like that but we were close Um, and then I got a call about a couple of hours before the press conference to say it's Ramon Diaz. And fortunately there was the internet. Cause I, if I'm absolutely honest with you, I didn't know who Ramon Diaz was. Um, oh, you know, um, <laughs> looked him up um, and thought, you know, this guy's the, the third biggest name from Argentina ever after Diego Maradona and Evita. <laughs> <laughs> um and he, he turned up with this absolute entourage into the the Holiday Inn. They did the press conference in the Holiday Inn, not inside the stadium. And you just couldn't believe it. they just kept coming, look, looking like some sort of mafia group, <laughs> um, and all different nationalities, translators, <laughs> the, the the whole the whole thing. And you you like hang on, hang, yeah. hang on, yeah. Ian Atkins was the manager just just now, you know, <laughs> old school Atkins. Um, yeah, um, and what I would say is they were. Brilliant blokes. Um, the uh, I remember doing the the first game at the the Casam, the and I think Craig Davis scored. Yeah, you uh, did it. Uh, say that. Not, 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 don't say Craig David. Craig Davis yeah. scored, oh. and um, I tried to give it the the big gold to, to um, <laughs> uh, mark the the Latin influence that it arrived, and I did it so loud, our line dropped out slightly, so it rather messed it up. Um, but we, uh, I then interviewed Diaz after the game. And obviously he's from Argentina. And I was thinking, okay, he, he's, 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 we're told his English isn't that good. And then I realised that the translator was speaking, Was speaking. they were speaking to each other in Italian. Because um, my grandmother, not from the Yorkshire side, was Italian. So I, a little bit of a spattering of Italian. I thought, hang on, but he's... he's Argentine, why isn't he, wasn't he speaking Spanish? But the, the, the translator was more comfortable uh, using Italian and he'd, he'd worked in Italy quite a lot, so he was as happy speaking Italian, D- Diaz, as, as uh, Spanish, but not English as it turned out. So he never did an interview in, in, in English. But one time I turned up to do a pre-match um, and he said, uh, why are you here? I said, I'm here to do an interview about the game on Saturday. And he said, um, 100 $100. Sorry, no, BBC. Not we don't pay. He said, uh, "Well, (laughs) in 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 Argentina, I would get six hundred dollars for for an interview." And I I was like, "Hang on, Um, good (laughs) deal." Yeah, (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, you know. Ian Atkinson asked for for anything, and um, he said, "Okay, next time just bring coffee." <laughs> Fair, enough. <laughs> Fair enough. And listen, he was an absolutely stand-up guy. You know, this guy was an absolute um, hero in his country. He worked at brilliant clubs and went on to work at you know amazing international jobs. And he's definitely in the top ten nicest guys I've ever met in football. Genuinely, that wow. that good. Um, and all the team that were with him as well. The only thing is, I. It just felt like it was the whole thing was a dream. It it was insane. Do you remember? You know, like when he went, and then uh, Ratio Rodriguez, his assistant, was there for one game, and then they were all trying to get into the stadium on the last day of the season. Yeah, it was just know. it
2: was just an absolutely crazy time. And I was looking at some past programs, and you look at the, the squad players at the time. They had Raponi, Comanelli, Corbo, um, some trialist called who played a game somewhere. It was just fantastic. He was as well. Well, yeah,
4: <laughs> amazing. Some of, them were, some of them were really good, and I, you know, I, I really wanted Raponi to to make it because I thought he yeah, has a winger. He had he had everything. He,
1: he... He's um in my top five. Like you don't you asked Jack on the radio the other day his top five, and if you ask me, Raponi is still one of the best players I think I've ever seen at Oxford. Technically, absolutely brilliant. I wish he
4: actually only did one thing on the pitch though, didn't he? Which was cross for Tommy Mooney to score at Cheltenham. But other than that, you know, he could do a step over if it was if you could win points by step overs, he'd yeah. be a man.
1: Corbo's <laughs> tackles as well, you could probably hear them in Swindon. They were just yes, they're still
4: reverberating around, oh, I think.
0: Fantastic. So going, going forward a bit, we obviously had Jim Smith, and then Patterson was in charge for a bit, and then Jim Smith took over as a caretaker for a bit. Jim wow. Smith played a massive role, didn't he, in bringing Wilder into the he club did. as well, didn't he?
4: Yeah, I don't think people. I mean, Jim Smith, we've spoken a lot about, haven't we, in the last year after after we lost him? But um, you know, he was. I, I, it was really incongruous having seen him lead Oxford United to the top flight, seeing him at places like Droylsden and Histon and, and and that kind of thing. It just felt it just felt too weird. Yeah. Yeah. So he, stuck, he stuck with the club um, he, he, you know he didn't feel he was too big to the, for the club even when they were in the conference um, took over a bit when when Patterson went and then was really uh, key uh, I can remember taking a phone call from um, from Calvin Thomas he, he he wasn't quite telling me Chris Wilder had got the job but very very nearly telling me and he was he basically just said driving back from from Sheffield uh, Jim's in the car and we think we've got the, the guy that that we want we've just interviewed you know he and Jim had just interviewed Wilder and as you say the the rest is history and I think um we'll never we'll never know quite I mean Calvin Thomas will give you quite a good good uh, answer on this quite how important Jim Smith was in in getting Chris Wilder and seeing the potential Wilder had Um, and you know he, it was absolutely critical at the time because Jim Smith said before that playoff final, don't win that game at Wembley and it could be the end of the club. Did
0: you, what were your kind of first impressions of, of Wilder and how how do you generally feel he contributed to the, the change in direction? Because we've been on the up ever since, really, with a little bit of yeah. stagnation in between. But
4: Okay, first impressions were that this is a normal guy who gets what needs to happen. And one of the things that, you know, when... I don't know why, but it seems like northern managers seem to work quite well with Oxford United. That they, they uh, uh, Why is that? I don't know. Um, he was from Sheffield in the same way that, that, that Jim Smith was, although from maybe different sides of the city. Um, and, you know, some of the things that really irked Oxford fans, like the, do you remember the, uh, you can stick your milk cup comment? Um, yeah. I mean, it was a little bit, or a bit of an awkward way of describing it but but that you know you don't get out of this this league by um by your history you have to get out of this league by you know playing well in this league um and and he was right and it was definitely a team effort um and as that you know the the first season or first half season with chris wilder started you know you, you'll you'll remember it it what under Wilder, started terribly with the defeat at, at Salisbury, but then sort of gained some momentum. Would have been into the playoffs had it not been for the points deduction. Um, and then they really did a good thing of, of getting the media and the fans on side. And it wasn't just the sports reporters, but it was the front of the Oxford Mail. And it was the the uh, general programmes on Radio Oxford. And um, Wilder absolutely embraced Malcolm Boyden on Radio Oxford when he started trying to do the I Believe campaign, um, which to hardened Oxford fans, you would think, well, yeah, of course we do. We'll do, we'll do anything. But for, for the club to really be successful, it needed to get beyond what at the time was, what, two, three, four thousand regular fans and make that six, seven, eight thousand. Um and they tapped into that, hence thirty three thousand at Wembley for, for yeah. that for that game. And I thought um Wilde had got everything everything about that uh that whole playoff run absolutely spot on, including finishing third. Do you remember he fielded a weakened team at Eastbourne on the last day of the season yeah, yeah. and the Oxford finished third, not second, and how might have worked out if they were playing um, Luton or York, rather than Rushden, in the semis. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a time where the club. That was the time of the
0: twelfth man fund and all that stuff. That's so the whole 12th. club was man coming thing, together, it was good, wasn't
4: didn't it? Didn't he? And he scored against Luton, and he, yeah, in his first that goal. Play. Yeah,
0: I'll never forget that cheeky little point he did as he dragged the ball back. I'll never. That will never. <laughs> Brilliant. Forget. Brilliant. Um, we kind of talked about the Wembley game, but in terms of the conference days for you, were, was the coverage ever at risk? to a degree? No. From a, no?
4: No, um, because the funny thing is that the way that football contracts are sorted out as a radio station, you, you you have a global deal. So the BBC will do a deal with the Football League and then Radio Oxford has to do a deal with Oxford United. Um, in the conference, the BBC deal with the Football League meant that we didn't have to pay a penny to, to cover the games as an individual radio station. So it was actually the best value football that we ever had we ever had yeah. so, um, no no it, it, it wasn't it might have been a problem if we covered you know a load of football league clubs and all the rest of it but uh in many respects i think it um cemented radio oxford covering oxford united um more than anything particularly because the county stayed with the team it, you know it, it wasn't an embarrassment it was a, by the end just an absolute will to to get back into the football league yeah. um and i you know that Wembley day was is always going to be special for me. Uh, my family were all there. Um, it sends shivers down my spine when I watch the YouTube clips, just the same, just the same as anybody else. But if you ever want to know what Oxford United means to people, just Google Alfie Potter Wembley <laughs> in videos. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I sat absolutely. yesterday and watched it back. I was.
4: Uh, we're all watching it a lot. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was,
3: <laughs> so I was feeling a little bit lonely yesterday, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna sit and watch the Wembley game.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's certainly. True, yeah. And after that, the lead from goal at Charlton, and isn't it? It's where yeah. we all go.
0: Yeah. So Wilder left us in January 14, I think, and he was. It was a weird time because there was kind of a 50 50 split amongst the fan base. On some people were just getting a bit restless with him, and others were fully behind him for what he'd given to the club. Yeah. Um, where where were you kind of at, at that point in time?
4: Um, at the time, I thought the it, nothing had really changed. I think um, it was a difficult time for him. Um, it was a difficult time for Ian Lenigan funding the team. I think it was clear that the relationship between those two was difficult at the time. Um, yeah. United fans, cl- the club generally, with the benefit of hindsight, I think Chris Wilder would say this now, maybe stay too long. Maybe he should have gone earlier on. That you know, the shell, his shelf life had passed, but then the opportunity hadn't necessarily presented itself to him. I mean, in the end, it was absolutely crazy. He took a you know took a job at a team, best will in the world, a smaller club that was one foot in the conference at the time. You know, it begged belief, which will tell you how difficult things were for him uh, at Oxford United. Um, so, what I'm pl- I must say about Chris Wilder in the last few weeks, you know, with the uh, reunion dinner. He, he, he attended. I think that was a big thing. He gave an interview to Nathan um, at that time when I thought he was he was as um, as comfortable talking about Oxford United in a positive way as I've I've ever heard since, and I was pleased about that because um, what he achieved for the football club was absolutely massive, as you say, sort of the last um, ten years of he built the foundations for it. and None of it could be achieved without him. So uh, it's right. good to hear him talking positively about it. And, and maybe, with you know, now the dust has settled a little bit, realises how important it was for him as well, um, as, as how important it was for Oxford at the time excellent i
0: was going to we've got loads of questions <laughs> so many questions Sorry. have you got another 20 minutes or yeah, so? yeah yeah
4: as long as listen i was going to say as long as people have because sometimes i hear you saying about how you know you're going to try and keep these podcasts <laughs> under an hour or whatever but let's be honest
0: haven't <laughs> <laughs> we, at the moment yeah. we definitely have time all right well we won't skip this then so wadock obviously came in very very temporarily yeah. He lost seven and eight, and then he was out the door. All change at, at the club. So Appleton comes in in July 2014, along with Daryl and, and Mark company. Aston. Yeah, I, I remember where, that.
4: Where the uh, the news that there was a new manager came after about, I don't know, 16 minutes of the press conference. It was insane. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Appleton yeah. had came with that kind of backdrop of Pompey, Blackpool, yeah. uh, Blackburn, where and all the fans were obviously going, what on earth is going on on here? And is Eels just bringing in one of his mates? Like yeah. is this, and he wasn't is this actually. It, yeah. I don't
4: think they they barely met uh, Eels and, and Appleton. Um, Mark Ashton brokered it all. Um, he was obviously key to to Oxford United at the time, the early days of of Darrell Eels. Um, and, it, and let's be honest, Appleton struggled in the first six months. Struggle to make a connection with players, struggle to make a connection with fans. Uh, yeah,
0: we, we put a note around the kind of early days, perhaps maybe a bit of a lack of charisma, which didn't play to his strength. And then you kind of just realised, actually, he's a genuine, authentic yeah. guy. I, and that's just what he's I like. And then if
4: you remember, he did a phone-in where I'm sat at Radio Oxford. And the fir- you know the first time he was really, really nervous. Um, and people yeah. making you know relatively tongue-in-cheek comments. Oh, you've got to make sure you beat that lot down the A420 and all that kind of thing. And he, uh, it, somebody asked him if they were going to sign. Was it Noel Ranger maybe or, or somebody like that at the time? And he was all you know. He'd obviously been primed. You know, we don't sign anyone. But it was all it was all very awkward and, and, and nervous. And looking back, it was a massive, massive job for him because after what had gone on with Blackburn and Portsmouth and all the rest of it, they were there were kind of mitigating circumstances for the difficulties that he had if he'd failed at Oxford, that might've been the end for him. Um, So it was a, it was a really difficult time. We were doing the Ask Ashton things in the early days, the sort of Monday morning um, fans forums, if you like. And, you know, every week there would be, when you're sacking Appleton would be probably the, the question that would come up most, which looking back now is incredible to think about, but it was a really, really difficult time for him. And then he he had a start when we, sorry to
0: cut you off, but when we were
4: looking at it, you think
0: back to? Do you remember the Cambridge game yeah. away where we lost five? What well, we went one 0 up. Hilton scored very early on, but we ended up losing five one. And we never do well on TV, do we? But we right. were twenty third after twelve games. Hence the fan reaction. And yeah,
4: yeah. And you know, looking back on, a, you know, probably more more owners would have pulled the trigger than than wouldn't at that time. So he was lucky. Uh, he was lucky that he was still there in January when suddenly the, the business, the transfer bit. He did come in quite late in in the summer, so the transfer business, you could understand it being a little bit ropey. But the, the, they got it right in January. Boy, did they get it right in January in terms <laughs> of that, how uh, yeah. you know the loan signings that then became permanents. You know, it, by the end of that season, you knew where it was going. But yeah. it, it took some getting there, didn't it? So that
0: second season, then what was that like to
4: cover? (laughs) 15, 16. Amazing. Um, It it was joyous, really. Um, There was a, and in fact, it's looking back, that kind of whole Appleton era from then onwards was just joyous. Um, We didn't really have masses to do with Michael Appleton. You know, obviously we spoke to him on Thursdays and on post-match and, and that kind of thing, but he was a really easy guy to deal with because all you all you had to do with, you know, he, he didn't ring up and complain about what you said on the radio. He, he didn't want to be your best mate or anything like that. It was a very good, positive, easy working relationship. Um, and yeah. I can remember after the game against Wickham when... Um, United had been promoted and we actually for about five minutes, Nathan and I stood having a drink with him. And I don't think that happened more than a couple of times. Um, And you got a sense of what it meant to him. He got a sense of what it, what it meant to us. Um, But, but it was a, in some ways, it was the easiest relationship I've ever had with a football manager because it was completely um, professional. Um, But when he left, it was, there were, you know, there was a, you could you could see that there had been a really good personal relationship that had come that I'm that I'm that I'm proud of. But the time covering the games, you know, those away matches in that charge to promotion, but even in the away, in the early days in in League One as well, it, it was just joyous. It, yeah. What, what can I say? It really was, and the sense of inevitability about winning games that you rarely get covering one football team.
0: We often refer back on this pod to that Notts County away game on New mm-hmm. Year's Day, I think mm-hmm. it was, the Carlisle game, which is just limbs, as they say, yeah. all over. Yeah, And obviously that Wickham game resonates with everyone. So, Yeah.
4: I mean, the Carlisle yeah. game was one of those as a commentator. I know there were 2,000 Oxford fans there. Um, the crew game I mentioned earlier on was that, had the same kind of feeling where you're a long way from home, but you know people are hanging on every word as a commentator. And I was yeah. trying to... But the thing I can remember trying to get over more than anything was what it looked like when circum scored to try and describe because it was in my eye line you know the the crowd behind the the goal yeah, the yeah. I and was in and, there. and in the streets um it was sort of responsibility to because that game if ever there was one that was about you know the whole day rather than you know a, a league game it was about the whole day rather than just about the uh, well the whole weekend even um, and hot dogs yeah yeah exactly the the hot dogs the, <laughs> that sometimes are uh, can you have hot dogs? Can be can they be sticks with which to beat somebody? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, but yeah, for me, it, it was that it was that moment of the and the noise. We were obviously in the uh, stand opposite where the Oxford fans were, uh, and just the noise the way it hit you was absolutely sensational.
0: The the service you provide. So for me, that Wickham game, I was at Carlisle, but I couldn't make Wickham, and I was in the North Yorkshire Moors struggling to find (laughs) signal and I'll never forget this. And I had to find, I was like, right, what are my options here? I was in the middle of, it's called Dolby Forest. I was on my mountain bike. I was like, I need to find it. I had to find a pub. Went to one pub, no Wi Fi. Right. Got to go to the next pub. Next pub had Wi Fi. So I just sat there in the corner on my own, left my mates in the forest and sat there drinking four or five, four or five pints listening to you, Jerome. And every now and then I'd be exploding in the pub. And I had to explain to the people, the locals, what was going on. But it was amazing. So th- thank you again for the service that you provide us. Yeah, it's right. and I, do,
4: I do know. I, you know, having been on the other end of it, there's been games that I haven't been to listening to to commentaries, and um, I know that if you are drinking, <laughs> it's it's not good, is it? You <laughs> end yeah, up drinking far more than you plan to if the game's nerve wracking. So apologies for that.
0: It, in a weird way, as we were saying this on the last pod, I think it's kind of more nerve wracking when you're listening it when you're actually in the stadium. It's kind of a bit less nerve wracking than if you're listening or watching it. And I can't. I can't. It's really far worse.
3: It. It's far worse being away from the game, watching it on. I follow or listen on the radio. I mean, in the stadium, it's, it's.
4: Yeah, it's true. It's not. It's not. Because I, I, I used to take it personally, thinking it was my commentary that, that got people on there <laughs> no. I have listened occasionally and gone, and I, I've got a phrase that I need to stop saying, which is "United a stretch," because that is like <laughs> the klaxon going. <laughs> The opposition are going to, it, but, um, but yeah, even when you watch the pictures, it's still you, you somehow feel like you can't, you can't, like you could, you feel like you could affect it if you were there. Like how could you yeah. affect? Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. It's, yeah. Helpless,
3: it's just being able helpless. to voice your frustration or, or you know have a, have a sing, that sort of thing. I think at the stadium kind of lets out that yeah. little bit of anxiety that you kind of get versus watching it on TV or or listening on the radio, where you feel like you you know yeah. you can't have an outburst and that bottle up of emotion. And again like you say when you mentioned the oxygen at mm. the stretch that yeah that's that's the nail in the coffin that is for most of, most of us
0: yeah so so map ends up leaving on quite a good footing and leaving obviously similar to wilder the club in a good place and yeah. setting the foundations for someone else that someone else ends up being mr pep clattette and I don't want to talk too much about him because we need to talk about what the current mm. the current management um Do you think that 7-0 defeat at Wigan just before Christmas was marked the end, that was kind of the only... We we had a period of stagnation, you could say. Um, But was that the moment where we were like, "Mm, could we potentially be heading in the opposite direction? And did you think that was the end for him after that?
4: I don't know. Um, Because Eels had been so well rewarded by sticking with Appleton when it had gone badly that there must have been a temptation to try and do the same with with Clotet who he'd, he'd given quite a lot of money to and perhaps the sort of money that if Appleton had been offered it directly might he might have he might have stayed rather than going to be Leicester assistant manager so I'm not I'm not entire to this day I'm not entirely sure what was the um what was the, the moment that lost Pep Clotet his job? Was it, you know, the shushing motion at the Berry defeat? Was it the one uh, yeah. against Wigan? Um I, I you know, I d I don't know I've often wondered. I, I don't honestly know why why it ended. Um it needed so he, it needed to end. Um but yeah. It was that tragic cardigan
0: for me. <laughs> I just couldn't
4: deal with it anymore. Well you have to remember as well, I think that the um the backdrop to this was he was in quite protracted talks with Tiger, um, yeah. Which the whole clotet thing fell in the middle of. So it was a it was a very hard time to sort of keep track on what was leading here. You know, was it the was it the boardroom business or was it the the dressing room business? And um, and that that really clouded things. You know, from a journalistic point of view at the time.
0: So. Clotet left in January 2018. Tiger comes in in February 18. As you said, that was all going on in the background whilst Pep was still there. Tiger's initial, you know, pressure was heaped on him instantly. Where's the new manager? Where's the new manager? Yeah. Bellamy, Lampard, Patrick, John. You were saying yeah. Patrick Cliver? I don't remember Pat, Paddy Clivert. And then Sol Campbell, obviously in the running. I think it, <laughs> it'd be good to know. Sorry, I think, he dis- Sorry, go I think on.
1: He just, Patrick Cliver dismissed it so quickly that it. Sort of I, fell off the list and was quickly I, forgotten. Yeah, I but remember the club He was definitely fishing around for a job.
4: Yeah, it was definitely Bellamy. Oh. Bellamy would have been the Oxford manager had the takeover not happened when it did. Give you know, if the takeover had gone through a week later, Bellamy would have been the Oxford manager. Interesting. That's my view. Wasn't- Do you know if they interviewed that- Lampard? Uh, I think there was initial the initial talks, but you have got to remember that the people that were doing the interviews weren't weren't the owner of the football club. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how many people do you talk to, and when does it become an interview? Having an expression of interest, um, you know, would you be interested in talking, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Um, I don't think Lamp. I, I suspect Lampard was spoken to by a director or other. Whether it got as far as an interview or shortlist, I, I'm, I'm not sure. But I do know Bellamy was very close to being the Oxford manager. Right. So Kr ends up coming in. I love how you guys call him KR you almost it's almost like he's offended you and you won't <laughs> call him
0: like, what his full name?
4: Can't. everyone calls him KR I swear you call him KR never what? no nope so, I okay think, I think it's a I think it's a nice little t- manner thing I think you should, okay oh, yeah. we'll take anything yeah, R. R. yeah. <laughs> um, so he comes in
0: and again this, this is where it gets to that difficult critique thing but similar to what we kind of said around map I guess oh, no, there's another one map um,
4: <laughs> but yeah it's a kind, kind of thing isn't it you take on to, on to broadcasting I suppose that's it. Yeah, sorry no it's alright it, but KR's
0: kind of backdrop and the Charlton fans reaction to him leaving was one of pleasure which yeah. meant that for us it was quite a strange situation when he came in now he had obviously a bit of clout from his MK days and it, it kind of showed with a bit of backing that he could do a really good job but Obviously, Carl has evolved massively. Oh, Carl! <laughs> <laughs> if I say Carl, it sounds like he, he's my mate. He's your it mate. Just yeah. Sounds weird. He's my mate, I could say he's my cousin. We've got the same surname. Who knows? <laughs> but I guess Jerome. First impressions of Carl Kr. Whatever <laughs> we bloody call him. How do you feel he's evolved during his time with Oxford?
4: Do you know what I think? Carl Robinson has largely been the same from the day he arrived. Um, I think he is the easiest person um, to say what you see is what you get. I think what's changed over time is Oxford to him. And I think there was sort of general euphoria when he arrived. It, you know, this is, uh, it, we've taken a guy from a, a club that's, you know, arguably bigger th- than Oxford within the within the league and um, one or two decent results and let's stay in, in the division and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, And people really got on board with what he had to say. Maybe mindful of what uh, had been said by Charlton fans, when it went wrong, people then look at the way he conducts himself and became irritated by it. Um, And then when it got right again, it was great to hear from him as much as he did. And, you know, it was great that he, he spoke so well and passionately about the football club. To be fair, he has, I think he made a pretty good stab at getting Oxfordshire and Oxford United when he arrived. Um, I think he probably more genuinely now does get it. Um, And the thing he really likes about Oxford, compared to Charlton, compared to MK Dons, is that it matters to people like all of the people listening, really matters if they win or lose. And as a guy who's grown up in, in Liverpool, supporting Liverpool, where it really matters if the team wins or loses, I think he likes the pressure... Of a football club where people actually care, where there will be a phone in after the game with people moaning if you lost, um, yeah. where there will be people on forums criticising and, and second guessing what he's going to going to do with his team selection and that kind of thing. I mean, Charlton's a big club, but it's a big it's a it's in a it's in a big pond, isn't it? Um, so there isn't a daily, uh, pay, you know, the the local paper isn't coming out every day with stories uh, about Charlton. Likewise, MK Don is a it doesn't have the
2: ingrained <laughs> it
4: doesn't have the ingrained generation yeah. support that, that Oxford United does and I think that's that's a thing that he he really he really relishes um and I do think, you remember his first game i remember his first press conference i don't remember his first game
0: his first game was that pompey away 3-0 defeat where we were 1-0 down yeah. maw Maur- Mauer got sent off for yeah, slapping a bloke the in the face. Yeah. It was Nathan Thompson, wasn't it? There, That's right. It?
4: I don't. The reason I don't remember, I wasn't there. I was watching it on TV. Um, uh, probably. Um, a lot. The,
0: there's another one that was on TV. I guess. Yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't a great start, was it? Um, no, we were looking at the the, the kind of run in
0: from that season and thinking back to the Donny away game where James Henry scored a header late yeah. on and we won. 1-0 and that was absolutely huge and we ended up staying up. One thing when we looked at KR's next, well, his first kind of full season, eighteen nineteen, he won. we won one game um, out of the first 11. In fact, we're not generally, we haven't been good starters under KR at all, right? But we finished that season with like just countless wins yeah. all over the place until we lost to Luton on the final day, but we went on a massive run. Uh, it just seems like by the end of that that 18-19 season, all of the fans were fully on board. And then you get into this year where um, me and John, we were at that Fleetwood away game for this season. And we were listening to the phone-in on the way driving back um, towards Leeds and York. And there were people calling up, calling for KR's head once again due to the slow start.
4: Yeah, I remember. I mean, I I think, frankly, any game at Fleetwood should not count because (laughs) I I think, you know, the 86-milk cup winning team would lose at Fleetwood. It's just... (laughs) You just when you go to Fleetwood, basically you just want to be able to get home without a big traffic jam. That's it. You know, that's as, that's as good as your day is going to be. But I know what you're saying about the um, the start to the season. Um, I'll throw one back at you. Um, do, I think Carl Robinson will always be on a relatively short leash with Oxford fans because he is so. Um, a bullion and he is so passionate and all the rest of it that uh, he to me always feels like we're only two or three games away from people ringing up and saying that you know he's got it wrong and he should go it's we we often talk about the emotion
0: he's a very emotional chap isn't he and when he gets caught by you guys (laughs) straight after a game and so he he does put Nathan into some awkward positions, doesn't he? With a lot of silences. and Yeah, such.
4: but I I, I mean yeah. I think he, he he is judged probably unfairly on on what he says in the media. But I think too in in terms of um, the the football, you know, the sort of um, you know the old we should go to four four two or yeah whatever. Yeah. It, it's never it never seems that far away, um, and it's what it, well, he is he's streaky, isn't he? As the Americans say that. With Oxford United under Carl Robinson, there are good, really good runs followed by, you know, two or three or four or more not so good games. You, you, it tends not to be a, a time when it's, it either feels to be going really well or really not well. I think he um, yeah. he has a way, and it's his
1: enthusiasm and passion. Of when we're on a good run, it just feels that even much better. And then when when we're not on a bad run, things such as tactics not changing things or the way he tends to, he can turn on players on occasions or certainly used to, doesn't do it anymore. And I think you've, you've sort of hit the nail on the head there that it won't be too long because a lot of fans have probably gone backward and forward on him about 10 times since he became manager. But most don't admit that, I don't think. I think it was the early...
4: Sorry, James. I, I think it's a real shame that we had the sort of break in, in play now because I feel that after the five straight wins, we would have yeah. got to a situation where the away crowds would have been up there you know t- instead of talking about 8 or 900 you'd be talking about 1800 or 2000 going to games um people generally were all on board and it's mm. a shame now that, that momentum it, not so you know I'm not saying the team will, will lose momentum but perhaps the uh, the support maybe by necessity isn't isn't there at all when when football gets going again but I think that is a shame because I think finally uh the momentum was there in terms of the relationship with the numbers of people that wanted to travel and uh, you know, we were building up to potentially a Carlisle away type scenario again. Yeah, I think you're right.
0: Just just on that then, what what moments this season have stood out to you, Jerome, in terms of coverage? And do you think this is, the table kind of would suggest as much, but do you think this is the best shape that the club has been in? Maybe even in your time covering Oxford, <laughs> at least yeah. from the 90s onwards. Yeah.
4: Um, well, in terms of covering it for Radio Oxford, I mean, as I say, when I started covering they were... It was in the the time of um, the dying days of the Maxwell era. Um, so, yeah, in good shape. Yeah, I think so. I think so on on, on and off the, the pitch. Um, there's, there's still work to be done. I'm not sure people fully get. How important the stadium situation is going to be in the long term. I think football is going to be a different animal once we're through all this because the financial situation for a lot of clubs is going to be very different. Um, but yeah, I think it is in is, is in a good place. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the team is is that much better now than the the first season under under Appleton, by the way. But um, it's it's, yeah. it's a good team.
0: Just you mentioned the stadium and we had a, re- a note to potentially ask you about this, but when k ke- was dealing with, who was it that came in at the time? It was the, when Eels, he was handing the club over to Eels, mm. that, wasn't he? Yeah. And part of, it, it was Methven as the kind of other group that was coming in, like a fans supporters group making a bid and then Eels was the other candidate. Yeah, yeah. And all of the, the comments from Lennigan at the time was based around the stadium being almost complete. And I think Meffen's group, looking back at an Oxford Mail article, was focusing on the fact that the stadium, we will take on the club if the stadium situation is sorted and the club owns the stadium. Mm. So it felt like it was that close to being done if those are the types of comments that were being floated around. But what what's your view on what you would... Like to happen versus what you would think will happen in the short term, few <laughs>
4: short term and yeah. long term. I guess. Um I think the club has to own its own stadium, or at, at the very least, the club, the the stadium being, you know, local authority owned with peppercorn rent for for, for the stadium for the club to to play in. That is that is the glass ceiling that Oxford have right now. The thing that makes you know, if Oxford were to be promoted to the championship, actually, do you know, maybe next season it would be more straightforward than than normal because I think championship clubs are going to be rocky financially. So it might be easier for Oxford to be competitive. But generally speaking, that is the glass season glass ceiling that stops Oxford being able to to Get into the championship and expect to stay there and hang around and maybe have one, you know, one good go at the the big, the really big time. Um, so, you know, you, you talk about that sort of time with the, it felt really close. There are times when, on a much, much, much smaller level, I thought I was really close to a commentary deal with Firoz Kassam, only for it to not be the case. Um, I think he's a very good businessman. Um and I think he uh, listen, I'm not saying that it can't be done and it, you know his situation financially may be hit by what's going on as well and that might change things. Um, it is going to be a different football world that we're in once the game resumes, but I think it would be best for all, probably for Fiozka Sam as well. Bearing in mind, this stadium is best part of 20 years old now. If a if a, if a new site could start again, I think it would signal it would signal yeah. um, what it almost means emotionally um, as much as what it means sort of practically. It would be a, a good thing to to get a new site if possible. I know that's much easier said than done.
0: It'd be it'd be huge. I always vouch on about it, but the um, water eating site was right next to where I grew up, um, and I still think due to that railway station being there in the park and ride. Yeah, I'm guessing the clubs explored everything around there anyway, but. Um back to this season then. Yeah. If you've kind of talked about the momentum there, assuming the season's going to finish, mm. do do you think we've got what it takes to complete the job and are we talking autos or playoffs if so?
4: Yes, yes, yes I do. Um I think that the uh, it's 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 hinged as it does for a lot of clubs in in the race on two or three players staying fit. Um yeah. Eastwood you'd think Dicky you'd think Um, getting Brannigan, I mean, Brannigan may be able to be back fully, fully fit by the time football resumes and that could be massive. Uh, And the uh, the other one is Taylor. And, you know, his situation when his loan is probably going to be up before football is played again, I think that's now, it may be solved by something that's decided with the PFA and the Football Association rather than with Oxford and Matt Taylor, but,
0: I think that's just been an... Jack, you were saying before the pod, is, and something's come out, hasn't it, around that?
2: Yeah, I think FIFA is saying that the transfer window and contracts will be extended for a short period. Um, how the FA adapt that into the English games, obviously yet to be seen, and if that applies to loan deals as well. But I think you're right there, Jerome. Matty Taylor is huge to the success of this team. Um probably you to
4: answer your earlier point I think the absolute highlight bizarrely of the season so far for me has been Taylor's goal at Portsmouth Mm -hmm. which earned a point not uh, a win
0: huge Um, that beautiful cross
4: yeah Um, and that sort of relationship that Taylor has with with James Henry kind of epitomised it didn't it and uh, or the Ipswich
0: one as well that was another combo from them wasn't it yeah
4: yeah but you know for me it's about the sort of the beauty the aesthetics of seeing Oxford fans behind the goal in, in which the yeah. goal is scored, and that, and it, in fact, it was, you know, 94th minute or whatever it was. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the, the moment I would, uh, yeah, maybe Ruffles' goal at Shrewsbury. I mean, that's the one I'm watching most at the moment because it's still on my planner. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I normally delete the quest highlights at the end of the week when, you know, the new one comes. So that's just staying on there at the moment. So Ruffles' goal at Shrewsbury, but yeah, that the, um, the taylor goal i think at portsmouth says everything about where oxford are this season and and why we should be optimistic about them
0: yeah absolutely who who would you say if you had to pick a couple of teams that are the biggest i know coventry are on this crazy run yeah. um who do you think are the most dangerous teams around us for that or automatic spot is it just going to be Rotherham and your peter brison and-
4: i think coventry win the league from here i can't see. i think oxford and everybody else are playing for second um, yeah. and, and Rotherham, it, it, the break for them probably came at a good time because I think they were on a big wobble, um, and it, it might be good for them.
0: How far clearer Coventry? Seven points, it's six or seven, isn't it? Yeah,
4: from they don't lose matches either, do they? So, and, and in their situation, no. if they can draw against the likes of Oxford, um, that'll probably be enough. Um, that's why I think they're gone. I think that's why well, they're up. Game in hand. As we well. had that.
0: Me- They've got a game in hand. Yeah, five, oh, yeah, five points,
1: three, points three, yeah.
4: clear. Game in hand. Game in hands against Wickham, isn't it, as well? Which is you know, when the, when uh, you think about points per game maybe being used. Uh, <laughs> Wickham <laughs> is a team that could go above Oxford on points per game. Right.
0: So we are on the final the final section of this, Jerome. You'll be happy to know. Quick fire round. Mm. Are, you, are you excited? I am, yes. Okay. Um, Did I say um, we're, <laughs> we're gonna start with worst or most demoralizing games covered? Worst trips. You know you referenced Barrow. I know yeah. it I know it's difficult in these times to think about. No, this is bad, easy.
4: Draws in the way, Saturday night kickoff um on Satanta. Oh, driving, through, yeah. <laughs> driving through Manchester at about quarter to four and Radio Manchester their local radio station are going through the scores and they deigned to go through the, the conference scores as well and they gave out the and Oxford game as nil-nil at half time in a match that hadn't even started oh, wow. they didn't the local radio station <laughs> didn't even know it was an evening kickoff. and then so it wasn't actually even at the game but then Oxford lost um, so I have no hesitation uh, bearing in mind that I wasn't at Tunbridge to say in away okay strong uh, what about what's top of the pile in terms
0: of memorable matches? You can have three or moments to commentate on, actually. Yeah, that's
4: that's nice. Um, yeah, I might cheat and not go, yeah, I'll go for more than three. Um, as a fan, I'm going to go for three as a fan. Steve Biggins against Manchester United before all your time, but it was a second replay at the Manor in injury time, looping header at the London Road end. Same end, Les Phillips, uh, basically kept Oxford in the top flight and robbed Everton of the title. And Dean Saunders at Luton. I wasn't at the game, Jerome, but <laughs> I, remember, I, I remember Nick's commentary because um, the Wave fans were banned um, and it, it, Oxford had been 2-0 up and then it got back to 2-2 two, two, and then Dean Saunders scored a, the winner in injury time and that kept Oxford pretty much up as well. Um, so definitely those three as a as a fan. And I think it's it's all—it's all—it's like the Taylor goal, isn't it? It's meaningful late away winners. Um, Always, absolutely. um, Ledson at Charlton, uh, Taylor at Portsmouth, uh, and then Alfie Potter obviously do you, you never know. chuck
0: the microphone like down the stand or I've, anything when i've only done that in anger,
4: <laughs> like, lobbed <it> in anger. <laughs> but I've, I've um i've never i've never you know i've never tossed tossed it up in the air and then sort of started hugging people or anything like that <laughs>
3: I think that's where we differ. You're, I was gonna say you're yeah, you're very emotionally stable, Jerome. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um what about uh, your least most favoured away ground? I know you said South mentioned Jrolston, but what about South from end. like a broadcasting.
4: <laughs> Have I mentioned yet South End. Um and it doesn't seem to matter whatever happens. Oxford always <laughs> seems to end up in the same blooming league as South End. It's as a I know, it's not great as a fan, is it, away from home there, but as a broadcaster, it's horrific. There's um, there's this tiny little kind of makeshift <laughs> lean to on in, in the middle of the stand. You're you're not amongst the crowd, um, but the radio. ah This goes back to an earlier question. Hopefully, the radio Essex people. i sat through all this to, to get here. Um, <laughs> you, they, they sit very much by the door, so you have to climb behind them to set up. Um, you can't you can't hear the crowd. You can't get out. Um, you. Then about two minutes to three, the local hospital radio decide that, you know, they, they're they going to arrive. So you've set up and then they start coming in and kicking your leagues out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so and you know, and this is why, do you know what? This is why I think the season might get voided just so we can still be in the same division as South <laughs> End. <Endless. laughs>
2: I mean, it must've
0: been all right this oh, year. Did you did you milk it? What was it? 4-0 and yeah, we had a great second half and that was facing the Oxford fans.
4: Yeah, I mean, the the only thing is that the drawback of that performance and that result was that it was at a South End. Um So I was still yeah. sat in, in the... Uh, yeah, I don't wish ill on South End generally. Um, I, <laughs> there, there have been times where I've been quite happy for them to get promoted just to be out of the league that Oxford are in. Just so, um, And the other one that we might surprise you is Northampton because um, it's almost as close to my house as the Kassam is, but it's blooming horrible when you're there and um, for some of the same reasons that I've said yeah. about about the clientele as well.
0: If you had to pick different tact, this top three managers, go. Excluding KR because you're not, you know, current. Yeah. Top three.
4: Um, Jim Smith. Dennis Smith.
0: Smiths, okay.
4: Yeah. And Ramon Diaz. Nice. But Ooh. it would be, it would be, a, you know, I've got to say with very few exceptions, I can't believe how good the people the Oxford managers have been to work with over over time I mean genuinely um uh, but I'm talking about in terms of football football and personalities you know points for both those would be my three
0: okay any managers that you were happy to leave
4: we found it difficult with Mark Wright as as a media um funny enough spoken to him since and it's it, it been absolutely fine but i think he felt it diff he found a lot of pressure being back in his hometown club uh and we found it hard covering the team it was the, remember it was the very early days at the yeah. Kassam, lot a lot of pressure on on him um and that was the most difficult okay what was
1: dave kent like during the uh 2000 season i mean he had a tin helmet Tent in helmets on for most of that season. Yeah. Was he, yeah. what was he like?
4: <laughs> he was the one I was thinking of earlier on when I said, you know, people might think you haven't got a good relationship with somebody and you actually did. He was, he was probably the biggest uh, example of that. Um, he was, yeah, he was absolutely, absolutely fine. He was, you know, perfectly civil guy, understood why we were asking tough questions and why we had to sort of take him to task over things, um, understood. You know, wasn't blaming us for um, putting words into his mouth or anything like that. Which I know that other clubs, that sort of thing, has happened with with individual managers who are under pressure. So, yeah, um, I haven't really got a bad word to say about him apart from the results. What
0: about you? Asked Jack this question the other day on Radio Oxford. Top four was it four players or five players? But who are your who are your top four?
4: I yeah, I um, four. I'd go. John Aldridge, Joey Beecham, James Constable, for various different reasons, yeah. and Roy, Roy Burton, who was goalkeeper when I started watching.
0: Nice. Is there anyone you would add? I don't know if you, we We did a last pick, 11, tongue-in-cheek. It was a bit awkward yeah. to do. Um, mm. Got people to vote <laughs> and all sorts. It was horrendous. Is there anyone you would put forward to join that that crew? Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who who sta- who who stands out? Uh, look, maybe a different question. Like who who stands out where we've signed someone and you thought what what on earth are we doing and then it's kind yeah. of turned into
4: that. I mean, I, I I probably was guilty of giving up on Nagamemeti after about 10 seconds of his appearance at <laughs> um, he scored a
0: Peterborough It was a beautiful tapping. I enjoyed it I could have scored that goal. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I suppose people would pick me up most on Courtney Pitt because he was signed in the sort of um, the dark days of trying to stay in League two when it was all going going badly wrong and I felt maybe unfairly that he wasn't his heart wasn't in it um, and I don't I, if I look back I, I don't know if that was if that was the case and I remember him coming on in 2010 in the playoff final coming on as a sub for York terrified that my thoughts and probably words of the time would come back to haunt me <laughs> and, and i don't know if you if you realize that the alfie potter goal starts with courtney pitt taking a corner for york yeah right?
3: yeah
4: yeah um, <laughs> I, so yeah maybe i was right
3: i mean i i kind of had a follow-on question from this what were your thoughts on tom newey <laughs>
4: honestly i I thought he was fine. In fact, oh, he was right. exactly the sort of player Oxford needed. Um, <laughs> he was, just, he was just, he was, but he, they needed Tom Newey of two or three years earlier. In the end, I think, I think his legs had gone by yeah. that point. We, we also um, had
3: a joke about it just because I don't particularly like
4: him. And the, the other lads yeah. oh, you, no, got, I can, you got to ask, I can, Jerome. I can, <laughs> I, can, I can understand that, but um, he wasn't, I mean, he, he got sacrificed big time, didn't he? After that Cambridge game that we mentioned earlier on. Yeah. But, um, I could see why he was the sort of player, and you know, in the end, Oxford went and got Joe Scars, who was basically just a younger version of of Newey. Yeah, very similar players.
3: Yeah, yeah, I could, yeah, definitely attribute-wise, they were very similar. But I was definitely
4: was there- in, in, ...experience, proper proper effort, yeah, more yeah. defensive than attacking, that kind of thing. No nonsense, as they say. Yeah, yeah. It, it
0: was. They were. Was there anyone? I know you've covered. You mentioned Mark Wright, but was there any any players that you found particularly difficult to interview? Or they'd like to. That could be like a Jamie Mackey who just wants to play around with you.
4: No, I mean there was a, a there was a big um, kind of fashion that, f- thankfully, seems to have gone away. It's a bit more in inverted commas professional now, where players would want to you know joke about behind, and um, yeah. there would al- there would always be one that would you know start heckling in the. But Johnny Mullins was always really bad at heckling in the background <laughs> of, of whoever <laughs> you interview. Yeah, it didn't even matter if he was the manager or something. He would, he would still, he would still do it. Um, I, I mean, I think you probably heard. I mean, I don't get to do a lot of the interviews after the game, which, Nathan, I
0: think, isn't it? Yeah. which I
4: think are more awkward for for play for everybody. Really, um, I think Dave Kitson was um, always interesting. I mean, we didn't interview him very much, but when you know, you probably had like five days worth of lead stories when he eventually did
2: <laughs> talk.
4: Um, yeah
2: there it's, was some uh, interesting stuff there and
4: there are obviously players that don't want to talk to you very much I think Curtis Nelson probably you remember that game after Oxford lost at Plymouth was that about 18 months ago um, on I want to say New Year's Day was it I remember that was, yeah. yeah and it was uh, sort of a low point he was back at his old club probably we shouldn't have been interviewing him and that, that was a uh, a difficult one for Nathan that day. So yeah. um, I think you always have to put things in context. And like the managers, really, we've been blessed really with, generally speaking, very, very good group of players um, that, you you know, you get to have a little bit of an insight into their lives. And you, these days there's quite a heavy turnover of players. So you, sometimes they, they come and go. But I like to think that with most of them that have had an impact. You, you can maintain a relationship so you're still... And it's a good club for that as well, yeah. where... I think that you see these people later in life, somewhere else at a different club or whatever, and there's still that kind of bond that Oxford can really, really make between people who are involved with the club because it is a bit of a family, isn't it? Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just about us. Chaps, any further questions? I think we're good.
3: To be honest with you, we could sit here all night, couldn't we? (laughs) Let's be brutally (laughs) honest because I'm lapping this up, to be honest. So, you know,
0: it it
4: has been It 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 has been fascinating. Jerome, I, it's been good talking to, to you guys. As I say, I listen to you most weeks, and I'll I'm you know, this is um I've got the only thing is I don't have to take my daughter to college at the moment because it's shut, so um, you don't you don't need to do them that regularly for me anymore. But it's more fun talking to you guys than just listening to you. Excellent. No, no it's actually more fun than just listening. To you. <laughs> I have to say thank you on two counts. Thanks,
0: obviously, for joining today. It's been it's been brilliant, and I, I think I speak for all of us for saying that just you've been absolutely incredible not just you obviously the rest of the the BBC Oxford team that that covers Oxford United it's been' it's say especially for us as exiles you do yeah. us um yeah. such a such a good service and uh, I, I think it would be incredibly difficult for us to keep pr- providing the club with the level of support that we do from afar if you weren't doing what you're doing so again it's funny say yeah. so
4: but you know we, we realize we recognize that we're in a privileged position um we're grateful that People like what we do and uh, seem to enjoy what we do, but we also know that it it doesn't just happen. Um, that yeah. we, we we're not entitled to it. Um, we are we are very very fortunate to do what we do, and we're, we're grateful for for people tuning into it. And you know, better again if they like it.
0: Excellent. Right, we'll wrap up there. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, chaps. I'm not very good at doing the thank yous, am I? But thanks, John. <laughs> thanks, Connor. Thanks, Jack. And uh, we'll- We'll chat to you in a bit. Cheers. (laughs)